Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Uncapped Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and today we have a, spe- a special episode because I've been wanting to have Jim Caruso in to speak about the First Amendment Society uh, for a while now because being working for a newspaper, I obviously care about the First Amendment and just in general I do. And then on Friday, um, Flying Dog made a, I guess, a fairly large announcement that plays right into this. And Jim is gracious enough with such short uh, notice to come in this morning to talk to me about it. Always a pleasure to visit with you, Chris, my good friend and beer connoisseur. So I guess let's just talk in, let's go straight to the Brewers Association and then we'll broaden back out to general First Amendment and your love, rightful love of free speech. Um, So on Friday, it started to hit beer news blogs and websites that Flying Dog was terminating its membership with the Brewers Association on grounds of its disagreement with the new marketing and advertising code. Um, And I, I could definitely, reading through it, there are definitely a couple passages that definitely fly right in the face of what Flying Dog stands for, both at Flying Dog's culture and at what I know about you, your deep-rooted philosophy about. Um, so I'd, uh, let's just go right into and talk about your six-page letter. <laughs> Sh- <laughs> and, sure. Uh, <laughs> it's not even time to read it on the air. Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm an economist. I'm a brewer. Uh, it's accurate to say that I'm also a philosopher, so certainly when it comes to the concept of freedom of speech and a free press. Uh, I want to point out that the issue that I had with the Brewers Association is not a First Amendment issue. And I've been clear about that with the Brewers Association from the start. The Brewers Association is a private association, a not-profit. It's a trade association for brewers, similar to the Wine Institute or the Beer Institute. So freedom of expression doesn't apply. Uh, there is no way for them to violate my First Amendment yeah, rights. Yeah, I, th- I think that's something a lot of people, especially online, that you see bandied sure. about. Anytime someone says anything about what they're <laughs> saying, I have the freedom of speech. Well, actually, I'm not the government, so, right. you, so, so yeah, thank you for clearing so that. I wa- right and I want to clarify that uh, I've seen some comments from the Brewers Association, and they were they say that this is not a First Amendment issue. It is not. I've never said it was. It's an issue of a trade association trying to interfere with and suppress the freedom of expression of the brewers. Uh, I also want to point out that I didn't make an announcement. Uh, This issue uh, came up when the Brewers Association announced their new marketing and advertising code. This was back in April. I had a series of communications with the president, uh, CEO of the Brewers Association. Uh, We uh, did not agree. It was not a matter of agreeing to disagree. So the comment was, not every member agrees with every policy of every association. I'm a big boy. I get that. But to suggest that freedom of expression is a mere policy. For example, you can only submit five beers to the Great American Beer Festival. That's a policy. Uh, But to say that uh, the the concept between freedom of expression and an industry association trying to censor and suppress the expression of its members is a mere policy issue, that's a fundamental disagreement. We, as you know from my past, from working with me, as everybody in the industry knows, it's no surprise, we clearly stand for freedom of expression and free enterprise. So I terminated our membership on June 1st. Uh, We'd already actually paid for the upcoming year through next May or something. I don't know if anybody has ever terminated their membership before. There's no real procedure. I called (laughs) Bob and then I followed up with a letter outlining some of the stuff I'd been talking with him about. Uh, And that was it for about six weeks. Uh, It was not something where I, we went out there and did some chest thumping and well, we're more virtuous. It was, it was a private matter between us and the Brewers Association. However, being the thir- 32nd largest brewery in America out of 5,500 or 6,000, possibly being the only one that's ever terminated its membership with the BA, uh, and uh, the fact that uh, – I, I knew this would eventually come out, but I figured when it does, I'll, I'll speak to it. But this was an issue. It was resolved. They go their way, I'll go mine. But the issue is this, uh, even though Bob assured me in writing as, as if this was the issue, we, the Brewers Association has no issue with any flying dog brand. 
Now, this completely misses the point. And the point is this, that I oppose any organization that tries to suppress a business person from communicating with his customers. It's interference. The Brewers Association, let's be clear on this. It's not this, this uh, 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 entity in and of itself. Uh, the board of directors is 16 or 17 people, 12 of whom are brewers. There are direct competitors. Everybody's direct competitors. And then a couple of people on the management level. So whenever they want to step in and try to comment on or suppress another brewer's, a competitor's ability to express its, his, his or her marketing message, uh, even if those laws would never apply to me, I will never contribute to, support, or in any way sanction, suggest that I condone this sort of uh, violation of a core principle. That's what it's about. So the Brewers Association actually made a comment to a reporter uh, I, I don't know in what context, probably. I'm, he probably said, I'm guessing Flying Dog's not happy about this. And Bob uh, admitted that we had terminated our relationship. When I was asked about it by the press, Craft Business Daily and a few others, I said, this is what happened. And it's no secret. Here's a letter I wrote to Bob. I clearly lay out my case that if you believe that individual consumers are intelligent enough to make decisions for themselves and they don't need a trade association to determine what are the right choices, uh, if you believe in free enterprise and free expression, then that's what we stand for. And you think about it this way. It's like, well, I don't really understand what this is saying. So one of the arguments the Brewers Association makes is other breweries agree with us. Other competitors. Other competitors agree that they don't like some of their competitors for who knows what reason, and we want to push them off the market. Well, think about it this way. They should be careful about that because they're insulting tens of millions of craft beer consumers saying that you are making the wrong choices for beer. What, what seems to bother the Brewers Association is that they don't like some labels. And it's a complete mystery as to what labels they don't like. I said, well, what labels don't you yeah, like? That's what I was going to ask What you, brought this on? Because almost every law <laughs> or code or policy is reactionary. Rarely is it done because uh, they, they foresee some problem <laughs> down the future. So there, there's obviously a brewery. Uh, I mean, I guess whenever they uh, have their first public shamings on their website, well, we'll see who they had a problem so with. So the question is, well, what breweries are they? For example, the Brewers Association, like any other association, uh, if they don't want to restrict membership to only breweries that they like, they could say, there's a brewery out there, they have a label, whatever that might be, and we'd like to distance ourselves from that because we think that's crossing a line. But when you're talking about adult beverages uh, that are on a shelf, with 35,000 beers out there, and people are buying 8 billion bottles of beer, it is, it is a bit of a mystery as to what's provoking this. But one thing they could do is just say what, what breweries you don't care for and put some distance between you and them. Instead, uh, the Brewers Association has implemented two policies. Number one, if you're a member and you submit beers to the Great American Beer Festival, and one of your beers wins a medal, and the the, the unbiased committee of three people, okay? Let me, let me point something out here. When they said unbiased, I said unbiased. They said yes. Well, I could sort of explode that in one minute. You have three people who are proud, happy, delighted, whatever, to serve on a censorship committee. <laughs> I, not only would I never serve on that committee, I don't think the committee should exist. So you want to talk about bias. You have one group that believes you should censor the thoughts and ideas and free expression of others and one group that doesn't, Okay. So between a dozen or so brewers and a couple of people in management and this, what I call a tribunal, that's a legitimate word, uh, will determine that if you win a medal, they will say the style of the beer, possibly the name of the brewery, if, unless they don't like it, but will have to say in front of 20,000 people, we can't say the name because it's too naughty. This is, this is the, in the past, it's pillory, you know, where you're in a public square and you put your head through one hole and your hands through the others and people walk by all day and threw rotten vegetables at you. This is what they're doing, okay? So for a small brewer, that is a chilling effect. It's, it's just trying to bully and intimidate somebody to not even think about doing a label that the folks at the Brewers Association won't like. Well, especially because the, the code and the, the guidelines are very broad. I mean, they, they, they start out narrow, which at some level you could kind of agree with where they said 
they sexist and they list things but then it i think it was what the last one or or anything deemed offensive well first of so, all first of all even the words you're talking about are not definable the, well, yeah the, that's true because what one person considers another person doesn't but they're they're at least closer to being okay i can kind of get behind that even though i do agree with you that because it is all subjective it you probably just let the consumer decide well or if it has <laughs> yeah it's called a free market that we believe that adult consumers of adult beverages walking to a liquor store are perfectly smart enough and intelligent enough to look at the shelf and decide which beer style or brand or label they want to buy now these words that you're talking about for a hundred years have not been definable in any way, even imprecisely, by what I would consider nine of the smartest, most well-educated, philosophical, legal minds in the world, the Supreme Court justices. Yet, somehow this panel has supernatural powers, and they will be able to define something. You know, I look at the board of directors and look them up, look at some of the beers that are produced by the breweries uh, whose uh, founders, CEOs sit on the board, and you would question those. You would question the etymology. You would, what, well, yeah, what, so, what one people finds humorous, another people, another person finds objectionable. And that's a, I, I had. I don't know what breweries are represented on the board, but I was going to say there are plenty very large breweries, breweries that even for the most part have a wholesome, air quotes, image but have a beer or two that is a double entendre or just That's a, right. some sort of joke that I'm sure there are at least a hundred people out there that find it unholy offensive. <laughs> it's, it's a marketplace of ideas as much as products, that good, good products and good ideas survive, others that aren't so good disappear off the shelves. So the Brewers Association will say, this is not about the First Amendment, who said it was, certainly not me, and the Brewers Association has no ability to censor other breweries. Well, completely false. Uh, so bullying and intimidating somebody by saying, we're going to publicly embarrass you uh, if, we, if we don't announce your name, is bullying people into self-censorship. And self-censorship is a particularly vicious tyranny of silence because just like being critical, you tend to be more self-critical yourself. So you have a brand new brewery, there are 35,000 beers out there, 5,500 breweries. You're trying to do something clever and witty, yet you're wondering, well, what if, what if the tribunal doesn't like this? Then I'll be publicly embarrassed. So you start to dumb it down, and you're going to drown in a sea of sameness. So the point, but here's my point. For the brewers that are members of the association, it's completely inexplicable how somebody else's beer name hurts them. I could look at some beers. I don't some beers I think are great, some names I don't care for. It has zero impact on my business, but you have this, this self-righteousness, this certainty that what is true for me, what, what is proper according to my sensibilities should be true for everybody else. And then you want to coerce people by bullying, intimidating by the threat of public embarrassment to uh, self-censor. It's an awful policy. The second is it's completely undefinable. So what happens is it's a retroactive policy. You make your beer, you submit it, and way down the road you find out after all this time that it has this nuanced name that somebody finds disagreeable. So the worst kind of policy is one that's non-objective and subjective based on somebody's personal opinion and whim. The second part of this is they have a, I can't remember the name of it, marketing and advertising complaint panel. Basically, it works like this, that anybody can go online and file a complaint against a competitor that you don't like that competitor's brand. So when I read about that, I was semi-confused. Is that so only members of the association can go and file a complaint or it, like the general public can go and file a complaint? The uh, members. Okay. So I mean, that's a little bit safer than the public because I feel like if it's the public, then they would just be inundated by people who have absolutely no. <laughs> but I completely well, see. Well, like, let's, it's also very dangerous that your competitors are the ones well, let's filing take a, the complaint. Let me explain to you how it actually works. So a competitor, for whatever reason, maybe maybe they're just uh, upset. This happened to us in Colorado. We came out with our first Ralph Stedman label. 
great label. It got fantastic press. The Scottish Ale was unbelievable, 1995. Had a perfectly innocuous word on it. And a competitor filed a complaint with the Colorado Liquor Commission that it was obscenity. It's not, but you know how crony capitalism works. Yeah. Uh, they gave us a citation. I had to pull a quarter million dollars of beer from the market and spend six years in Colorado Supreme Court to prove that this was a sham, okay? If we had been a regular startup and didn't have deeper pockets, you'd never see Flying Dog today. So you go online and you can file a complaint against one of your competitors because their name offends your sensibilities, because maybe they're doing great in the market, they're your direct competitor, who knows? But what does that have to do with their brewery? So the policy sort of reads like this. You have a limited amount of time to resolve the issue with the person complaining. That I mean, basically it means, you know, you take down the offensive marketing materials, whatever somebody considers offensive. If you fail to do that, the tribunal will be convened. They will de- make their determination and publish their findings on the public website for all to see. And what they refer to it as the court of public opinion. So not only you have the second layer of, if, if, other, if your competitors don't like what you do, then we'll convene this panel of unbiased people who believe in censorship uh, and publish our findings. Another chilling effect when my question is, how does that relate to anything in the industry? It's a complete insult to consumers who are buying these beers. And the brewers should be careful because even if they're buying your beers, they might be buying the beers you're also saying are offensive. You're insulting your customers. I believe that cust- I truly believe that customers are smart enough to make decisions for themselves. And the Brewers Association seems to be bothered by the fact that there are beers that they don't like and consumers buy them. Uh, that's what it comes down I to. I have a feeling, <laughs> though, that this will blow up in their face and have the exact opposite well, uh, thing. Because, I mean, of course, some people will like, oh, my goodness, those are offensive. I would never buy from that brewery. But there have been a lot of things throughout my life that I was never aware of. And then once I saw an article about this has been banned or this is um, <laughs> being re- not allowed to be sold here, I suddenly want it. The well, second you tell me that someone doesn't want me to have it, then I and th- that definitely seems to be a, not just me because anytime there is a news article, it seems like sales skyrocket of yeah. whenever someone says something is bad, it, all of a sudden everyone wants that thing. Whatever thoughts and ideas a person has, whatever is uh, relevant or interesting to them, assuming you're not interfering with somebody else's life, uh, is none of anybody else's business. What books you want to read, what movies you want to watch, especially in the privacy of your own home, what music you want to listen to, what beer you want to consume, and whether or not you like that label, this comes down to individual liberty. And before we get into the First Amendment, the Brewers Association, I started to say, kind of leans on the fact that other breweries don't like some of their competitors. When there's zero connection uh, as to how those competitors affect their breweries, and then they actually say, in this vast sea of 35,000 different beers and 8 billion bottles being sold, it bothers us because even one brand that's off color will spoil the entire industry. One grain of sand on this expanse. Well, we all know that there is zero, let me say, zero evidence, none. They're making this up uh, in their mind. It's a rationalization after the fact to justify something that emotionally they don't like. And the part about majoritarianism is this. When it comes to thoughts and ideas, in my opinion, there is no difference between an individual or an individual who has his business. You have thoughts and ideas, you have potential customers, and you should have every right to communicate your brand to them. Here's what we stand for, freedom of speech. I hate freedom of speech. I'll never buy your beer. I get that. But (laughs) I believe in freedom of speech. I believe in free expression. Majoritarianism, whether it's uh, 10%, whether it's 10% of the members, I think about 4,000 of the 6,000 breweries are members. I'm not even sure. I'm I'm sure we're the only brewery in the top 50 or 100 or 200 who's not a member. I'm pretty sure. I don't even, I don't ever looked at the list. So whether it's uh, 20%, let's say it's 51%. Let's say that 51% of Frederick voters decided that displaying the American flag is inappropriate. It's too patriotic. It offends people. And so they vote and they say that uh, nobody 
will be permitted to display the American flag in Frederick because we 50% are telling the other 49% what to do. This is what we're talking about. I wholeheartedly object to this, and I will never stop fighting it, and I'll go this far. Even if 99.9% .9 of the Frederick residents voted that you shouldn't display the American flag, I would say that one person, that one person <laughs> that believes that he, he or she would rather die fighting for his or her freedom rather than live in slavery should be able to do that and display the flag or whatever it is. And freedom of speech and the free press are the last defenses against tyranny. I know this sounds like some big issue, but that's what it comes down to. And when it comes to losing freedom of expression and free speech, it all starts with stuff that appears innocuous, like a beer label or whatever. Because of course, all battles are fought on the fringe, whether it's a band's name or a book and so forth. And if you don't protect that, because it's undefinable, right? Well, the next thing you know, well, I since that's objectionable. Actually, just look at the banned books list. Look at the banned books. Harry Potter. Just, yeah. You know, and you know my big objection to Harry Potter? I haven't read it. Uh, and so it's banned by the American Library Association, the, one of the most banned books in America. We have a little Freedom Reads talk about that. Uh, because it has wizardry. I'm not even sure what it is. Okay, wizardry or something. And here's my point. It's, it's not in the libraries anymore. Now, if it was controversial, I'd say lock it up and get a note from your parents. So by virtue of doing that, the Library Association is depriving, I don't know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of children who otherwise couldn't buy that book. It's not in the library, not even accessible with the parents a note. This is wrong. Now, I don't want to get into children. This Alcohol is 21 and over. I have no comment yeah. on children. And I have no comment about how to raise your children. But I do have a comment about if you want your child to read Harry Potter, then that book should be available at the library, perhaps with a note from you. So you start to get to the edge of this stuff, and that's where you defend it. America has, America is the gold standard for freedom of speech. It's a flawed society. A lot of things I would change about it. Uh, but I don't see people leaving America by the boatloads to go to other countries. Uh, they come to America and what preserves... Every four years, people threaten to, but the, uh, <laughs> no I, I think Steven Seagal uh, went to Russia. You know, good, good, you know, this is what you can do, but everybody wants to come to America for those reasons. So you take this whole thing together. Number one, that you can't separate freedom of free enterprise from freedom of expression. Any small business in this community, in this town, and I'm a small business. We sort of look like a big, big building, but I'm a small business. Uh, you, you cannot suppress any business's ability to try to market to their consumers. Second... Every label gets federal government approval. There is a legal definition for obscenity, and if it's obscene, the federal government rejects it. And most state governments have a second approval. Not good enough for the Brewers Association, who wants to step in and be a guardian for consumers saying, yes, we believe in free enterprise, but you're still buying these beers. And sure, you're smart enough to think for yourselves. But just in case you're not, we want to make sure we do everything possible that beers aren't on the shelf that you're buying now, but you really shouldn't be buying. If that was something that reading through your letter, I thought was a very interesting point where you point out several layers of government have approved these labels already. And then it made me think, like, where if, they, if they're telling you that, don't worry, Jim, you guys are safe, but you're one of the only breweries that twice have gone through the court system to prove that your labels or your marketing is not obscene and won. So who is it that they are, that they have a problem with when the government, which is never known for being extremely broad on what they find okay, is saying it's okay. It, it does kind of seem like they, they definitely have very specific people that they want to target. Uh, I could point out beers that some people find interesting, other people's find uh, unacceptable. They just, these are adult beverages. Uh, so, so yes, that's true. It's completely undefinable. So who determines? Whoever happens to be sitting there when your beer comes through and they disapprove of it. Whether, who knows based on what? First of all, they uh, are excited about being censors, I believe. They, if they aren't, why are they, you know? And, uh, and they, they, I think the most basic human right is for somebody to have these thoughts and ideas. You do a brewery, you put out a label, and maybe people like it, maybe they don't. To step in and say, you don't have a right to those thoughts. And by the way, even if people want to buy your beer, they're making bad decisions for themselves, so we need to decide for them 
based on who? Based on, like, I mean, name the people on the Brewers Association management and board. They're going to decide. So uh, Bob, pretty smart guy, but he, he very consistently just misses the point. <laughs> the point being, I'm not interested in what his opinion is of Flying Dog. Uh, that is not the issue. The issue is that they're trying to suppress freedom of expression and free enterprise in the industry. But let me ask you this. So you have a group of competitor breweries, a dozen or so, trying to tell the other 4,500 4, whatever bre member breweries how they should operate their business and what would be a proper brand. I have as little interest in what they think about how I should run my company as they have in my opinion about how they should run their business. That's what it comes down to. And so they want to take the higher ground that this is, you know, to protect the industry. That is a circular argument that just doesn't go anywhere. This is kind of the thing that it's based on what? That how does my brand affect anybody? If my brand's terrible, it's just more business for you and vice versa. So is the real issue, though, you just don't want Ralph's artwork being messed up by the upside-down bottle? Okay, logo? the upside-down upside <laughs> bottle. <laughs> uh, For those of you that don't know, the so they, Association so, so, came out with a, a logo that could be used by independent craft brewers to signify that they are independent. You know, there are really big issues in the industry. There are, there are serious debate about nutritional labeling. Uh, we have a very competitive industry with wine and spirits. Craft sales are rather soft. Challenges from very large breweries in America. And we're focused on a group of people who find some, lady, some uh, name or image naughty and wants to put in this, tribe, this creep, the tribunal with this creepy process and wants to public humiliate their competitors because they don't like what their competitors are doing. I mean, just think about this. So the, uh, the independent label, yes, they uh, came out with a, a label. It's fine. You know, I mean... I think Flying Dog would have done something much more colorful and exciting. Uh, uh, but, but here's the deal. To be able to state what you actually are, an independent brewery, you have to, again, sign off on this marketing and advertising code. The reason I'm not a member of the Brewers Association, the reason I'm not a member of most organizations, the reason some of my best friends, the top attorneys in the country, aren't members of the American Bar Association, is because we fundamentally disagree with some of their core principles. So the Brewers Association on a third level tries to coerce people because they think, well, I know you want to be part of the Great American Beer Festival and the Craft Brewers Conference and uh, uh, have Saber. some of the members, Saver. Uh, so if you want to do that, you have to sign this marketing code agreeing that we will judge your thoughts and ideas and we will you giving us the ability to public humiliate you and go to this panel and you have to answer to your competitors if they don't like your brand to have this symbol. Uh, it's fine if you want to sign up for that. The disagreement is even by virtue of me being part of that organization, it suggests that I agree with that. And that's what I mean by not only am I not going to put my dollars to that. In fact, we spent tens of thousands of dollars on the Brewers Association membership dues, which are thousands Saver events, CBC, GABF, I'm doubling that amount uh, that we spend annually and contributing it to the First Amendment Society, something that I believe in. I'm not anti-anything. I'm for individual liberty and for the basic human right and the basic right of business people to express their messages uh, to others, as long as you're not harming them, as long as you're not you know, resulting to some sort of physical violence. Again, and this majoritarianism where, look, I, I received hundreds of emails after this and it sort of comes down to um i'm not a hero but everybody likes when <laughs> everybody, everybody likes when somebody stands up yeah but it's hard to do so behind the scenes uh brewers that i've never heard from are saying thank you Th thank you for standing up to this but it's not a matter of i have these people on my side you have people on your side i have clarity confidence and certainty about my principles. It was 40 years ago, literally this weekend, that I first spoke out publicly about the basic civil right, the basic human right of being able to have your thoughts and ideas and to be able to express those thoughts and ideas publicly, 40 years ago. The Brewers Association is vague. They've lost their way. They have some, uh, half a dozen, a dozen or so people have some emotional, baggage around some naughty beer names and labels and they want to do everything possible 
to threaten, bully, intimidate people, and coerce them into self-censorship so that you're only producing labels that are acceptable to the BA. That's their way. I have my way. Have you gotten any indication that there are other brewers and brewery owners that are considering also leaving the Brewers Association? Uh, some have asked me my opinion, and my opinion is this. Think for yourself. <laughs> Shocking coming you, from you. <laughs> think, that's my opinion. What should I do, Jim? Well, you. my stance is clear. I don't Look, I'm not, I'm not even trying to wage a campaign against the Brewers Association. This, is seven, this news is seven weeks old. Well, of, that's like going... of course it would be public, and here's my statement, but my statement is to be crystal clear about what we're doing. And it's a voluntary association. They live on our membership dues. They are not uh, going to convene an emergency committee to find out how they're going to survive without my fees, okay? They're going to yeah. be just fine, and so am I. That's a, I, I'm glad, going back to how we first started out, that you explained like how it even had entered into the news cycle. Because I saw a couple of the articles posted Friday evening, and, and I'm like, how the heck could I possibly have missed this? Yeah. So I started well, searching. I like went back through everything I, from that you guys had, your press releases you guys had put out. I'm like, this is nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> so it, Well, it's because it's... Because, you know, uh, you know I, I'm a bit of a voyeur on Twitter and Facebook and so forth, but, uh, you know, I'm 100 years old. I'm, I'm the old-fashioned way. Somebody <laughs> can call me if they want to yeah. discuss an issue. I had lengthy conversations and email exchanges with the president, the CEO of Flying Dog, to the CEO of the Brewers Association. I expressed my opinion, and I was completely dissatisfied with their response, that it's just a policy. Freedom of expression versus censorship is just a policy mm -hmm. agreement, okay? Or uh, we'll have to agree to disagree. As if we're agreeing to disagree whether a white or a red Pinot Noir goes best with a crab and avocado salad. We'll just have to agree to disagree. <laughs> no, I can't agree to disagree and pretend that I condone or sanction or even agree with this outrageous behavior. So I'm not a member. So what are what do you lose by not being a member? What like what have you given up by not being a member of the Brewers Association? Well, there there are there are benefits uh, to belonging to the Brewers Association. It's a trade association, so they lobby on behalf of the industry. So do I, very actively actually, uh, especially at the federal level. There are uh, organized events: the Great American Beer Festival, Savor, the Craft Beer Conference. You can still attend those, but you know not as a supporter or a sponsor. Uh, there is some knowledge and information available. Uh, I think that's especially helpful to the newest breweries. Uh, there are some forums to pass. And I mean, like, like any other organization, the difference here, whether it's the American Bar Association, again, that some of my friends don't belong to for whatever reason, or the Wine Institute or the Beer Institute. Um, yeah, you give up some benefits, but when it and no, I've never agreed with all of their policies. I don't know who has. And if this were a policy different, we just kind of move on down the road. But when you say that we are not for freedom of expression, we are anti-free enterprise, we're trying to bully and intimidate craft brewers so that they self-censor and make sure they don't submit anything that's even witty and funny with a possible double entendre, which is massively hypocritical when you look at the representation on the Brewers Association right now. No, I'm not part of that. And you can't say that, well, flying dog's okay with it. We're not okay with it. Well, and actually, it's, I think it's, even it's, not a, it's not even a chest-thumping sort of thing. It's, it's Maybe even at a higher level, it's kind of hypocritical because there would definitely there would be a whole section of the community that find beer drinking in general offensive that are so, against beer drinking. Well, there so, are like, there are prohibitions. Yeah. I, you know, I, I welcome dialogue. One of the reasons uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I am I am defiantly nonpartisan. I, I am for freedom of expression and some other stuff. You'll see all kinds of people speaking at the brewery. It's kind of a town hall space. I believe in dialogue, you know, that no matter how, and, and, and dialogue doesn't mean you have to agree. Dialogue doesn't you can mean you can vehemently disagree. But when you have dialogue, you talk about stuff. There are, I've, spoken, I've spoken to groups of people that believe in prohibition. Okay, let's talk about that. I don't even advocate drinking. But if you do, I would recommend really good stuff. Okay, <laughs> it's better for you or not worse for you. So, yes, when you look at this, it, it's, a, it's a situation where you have a trade association that, in my mind, has crossed a serious line. They're not out just spouting policies. It's perfectly fine with me, and I think they already have one. We don't like beer labels that we think, by most general standards, have crossed the line. I don't even know what these are. I wish, you know, I begged Bob, sort of even in confidence, would you tell me what they are? Because 
frankly, I am really busy and I don't read all this stuff. So what am I missing? What, what are these labels out there? And he said, well, we'll never, we'll never call out or name another brewery, except at the GABF in public in front of 20,000 people and online when a competitor <laughs> when they complains have a, about when you. When they have one of their proudest moments. For, <laughs> when they have one of their most humiliating yeah, moments. That and quickly turns and, into and then And then we're going to insult all the consumers out there who happen to be buying that beer because they are making choices that are not good for themselves. This is, this is not acceptable. Okay. Bye, Jim. <laughs> Bye, Bob. <laughs> so have you heard from Bob at all over the weekend since the... the no, Bob the, and I weren't, you know, best of friends. Gotcha. <laughs> I would have normally heard from Bob. My position is clear and so is theirs. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've just stated it. And I have tremendous respect for anybody's thoughts and ideas. Now, no, I'm not, uh, I'm not shy about stating my opinion with the confidence that I have from 40 years of discussing this and debating. My positions have changed over time, but my core principles haven't. And when I challenge somebody on core principles, I like Bob just as much as before. I could say I don't have a beer with him. And we'll, yeah. we'll end up still, well, we're agreeing to disagree. And I'll still keep saying, it's not agreeing to disagree. <laughs> we cannot be together, Bob. <laughs> so let's talk about um, what is actually First Amendment issues. Sure. And the First Amendment society in general, the what your mission is, and then the, um, is it band? No, uh, Freedom Reads. Uh, Freedom Reads yeah, mm-hmm. series that you're doing. Uh, this is, this is a, a shorter show, and uh, I'm a philosopher, not an a, a attorney. But the First Amendment is uh, the, first, it's the first amendment to the Bill of Rights, to the Constitution. And um, there was a lot of debate among the founding fathers. Do we even need a Bill of Rights? And there was a group that said, yes, we need to explicitly state what some rights are, even though there's nothing that says the government doesn't have these rights. And it fundamentally says that you have the right to practice whatever religion you want to. You have the right to express your views. There's a free, free press, and you have the right to assemble. And this is pretty important because it was people assembling actually in pubs to talk about declaring war on Britain <laughs> that led to our, our independence. And over the years, the, the First Amendment, by the way, as we know it today, the issues that seem so controversial, uh, began in my lifetime. This is why I grew up with the First Amendment. So Floyd Abrams, going back to the 1960s, going back to some pretty serious issues in America in the 60s, uh, the body of... Uh, Siri thinks you called her not... Siri. Hello, Siri. First <laughs> Amendment, please. <laughs> yes, it's on Constitution Avenue, Jim. <laughs> the, uh, so, so as we know it today, it's only been in the last 50 years, my lifetime, and then even more recent for freedom of speech for commercial speech, which I think is just a joke, that somehow the day that I become a small business and open a, a little shop on Market Street, the government can tell me what I can say to my customers. So that has been disappearing over time. So the government... Um, cannot interfere or block or suppress your ability to freely express your thoughts and ideas based on the whims and opinions of some bureaucrat, especially when it comes to political speech. And in America, we believe in self-government. It's a constitutional republic, and people have to be informed. So the government is extremely broad in not interfering with or suppressing in any way the ability for citizens to communicate about political issues. On the individual side, it does come down to a basic human right that your thoughts and ideas are yours. And as long as you are not harming other people, and by the way, words are not evil. Words are not violence. Evil is evil. Murder is evil. That yes, words can hurt, uh, but there is a way to look at that and understand that stupid, ignorant things that people say are because they are stupid, ignorant people with stupid thoughts in your head. And by suppressing free speech, it doesn't make those thoughts go away. And my main argument for not limiting that is freedom of speech is an extremely important pressure release valve. By getting somebody to shut up, and there is some awful stuff. Westboro Baptist Church is some of the most awful stuff I could possibly imagine. Uh, But it's out there. And you have three things. One is, if there's any rationality to somebody, and if you have some dialogue, maybe over time you can move them in a direction that is more acceptable to society. Number two is, by shutting them down, it doesn't shut down their thoughts in their head, and that's when you risk them picking up a baseball bat or a gun or a knife and doing some violence to express their thoughts. 
Third is, even if you can't persuade them through dialogue, don't you want to know who the nutcase is in the bar? <laughs> because I do. Yeah. And, and we just give those people too much attention. Just ignore them. When I hear some of this stuff and I realize it's an irrational person and you can't ever win an argument with an irrational person, just go the other way. Move on. And then uh, train yourself and discipline yourself to recognize their stupid, ignorant, hateful crap has nothing to do with me. So when it comes to the First Amendment, uh, after we've well, actually we sued this, uh, Colorado in the state court, Michigan in the federal court, for committing a crime against us. They violated our First Amendment right to freedom of expression. It was a crime. It took six years. It was, you know, their decision was completely arbitrary. It had nothing to do with anything. Um, but it took six years, a lot of money. Uh, but that's where the battles are. It was not about a beer label. It was about do bureaucrats and appointed officials have the right to swear to uphold and defend the Constitution and then turn right around and defend somebody's constitutional freedoms? No, they don't. And when it comes to freedom of speech, that's something that uh, if somebody said, you know, if you do this in Michigan, uh, they will reject it. No, I just happened to do something in Michigan and they rejected it. And then we spent six years in court. And it, it is not about a trivial beer label. It is about the basic human right. And you have to, you know, hold your ground on that because freedom of speech and a free press are the last defenses of somebody coming to power and enslaving us all. Uh, so the, the banned book club, uh, it's just a joke. It's like, it's like these beer labels. You look back on what's been banned over the years, and it's, it's farcical. So, uh, you know, there are, I looked, I, sometimes I look on Amazon. You pick any word. There are like 7,354 books in that, in, with that word in the title, 23 of which are children's books. Don't buy it. Uh, it's not a big deal. So we try to, separate from bringing scholars and you know, professional think tankers together, we bring the general public together to go, hey, so what's this about? We had Bob Corn Revere, one of the nicest guys in the world. He actually worked for the FCC for a while. And he, he defends a lot of these First Amendment cases. And he talked about, you know, what can you say on the air? And why can you say it? And how did this develop? And why did somebody spend eight years in federal court and a half a million dollars in a fine for something that was nine sixteenths of a second on a Super Bowl ad? We just talk about that stuff. And it sort of shocks people as to what goes on behind the scenes. And that's our goal, to inform, not to try to take our view and open somebody's head and force that in uh, and then send them out as zombies, but to have an intelligent, thoughtful conversation. And I've had some tough questions in groups. And at the end of the day, I've always walked away going, you know, we agree on 80 or 90 percent. It's just your idea of what's, you know, funny and edgy is a little bit different from mine. But we sort of like each other. That's now, what it comes down to. The um, Freedom Read series, are those, are those always at the brewery or the, do you host those at different locations? Yes, thank you for that. So after we uh, sued Michigan and won, similar to the way I'm doubling the tens of thousands of dollars that we're not spending on the B.A., and contributing it to uh, the fr uh, freedom of speech cause. Uh, we took all those proceeds, uh, didn't make any money off of that, cost me a lot of money, uh, this Michigan situation, co-founded with Erin Weston. Uh, some of you may know her in the community. She's our communications. Uh, she actually has supernatural communications powers. <laughs> uh, we co-founded the First Amendment Society, and the goal is very simple, to have a residual ongoing conversation about what freedom of expression is and are there, should there be limits to it. I'm speaking at Hood College in October, and uh, I think I named it uh, Freedom of Speech for Me But Not for Thee. You know, what are those limits? And kind of the conversation that everybody, Americans love to express their opinions. Americans hate thought police and Americans hate censorship. The problem is when you say freedom of speech, it's like, yeah, everybody says, absolutely. You know, I have a right to freedom of speech, but when it comes to some other person, there should be some limits. So when you accept a freedom, like your individual freedom, it comes with a responsibility, and that's self-responsibility to operate in a free environment. If you accept that you have the right to express your thoughts and ideas, somebody else's thoughts and ideas, just as true for them, they have the right to express theirs. You can vehemently disagree. You can hone your argumentation skills. You can you know, learn better ways of arguing, but that's how truth is found. If you look back at how wrong stuff has been over the centuries, it's incredible. Uh, I, I hate to bring this statistic up, and <laughs> some people always go, Jim, don't do that. But <laughs> 80 million people, in the last 100 years, 80 million people have died from genocide and homicide. 80 million. 
The combination, World War I and World War II, 90 million people died. 94 million people have died and are still dying from one of the most evil systems in the world, communism, where my grandparents came from. Uh, they didn't even speak English. I love them, even though I could never understand a word they said. Uh, they're such wonderful people. So because, because people didn't think the right way, and you couldn't very well say, you know, when, when, when Lenin and Stalin came to power, they couldn't exactly say, well, you know, if you don't think the way we do, we're going to torture you and kill you or send you off to slave labor camps in the Arctic to die of starvation and disease. No, they used other ways of coercing them. And people still die today more than total homicide and genocide, more than both world wars, because they have thoughts and ideas that aren't acceptable to the tyrants that are in power. This is, this is the big issue. Now, the small issue is, wait, what about that banned book, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is where it starts. It starts with understanding the basic principle. And I am, I am, I am shocked. I, it is somewhere along the way, uh, even I, didn't, I had a public school education, public college, all that sort of stuff. I learned about American history, constitutional republic. It's not a majoritarian democracy. I learned about civics. And you had this basic understanding. When, when I speak to colleges today on a regular basis, there is virtually no understanding of American history, civics, constitutional government, and those sorts of things. That is extremely problematic. Young people aren't bad. I love young people. But how could they ex- – you you're not born understanding yeah. the principles behind the Constitution. And um, I've, I've made an effort myself to start teaching this stuff. I have full-size copies of the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, and Bill of Rights – and I even had a little class with our tour guides because people are asked about freedom of speech. So, you know, some, you know, some of them know more than others. But, yeah, we need to talk about this stuff. Then you start to appreciate why people are coming to America and not freeing, fleeing America. And I'm not for open borders or anything like that. So I don't want to be misinterpreted anything. Yeah. I, am, I am defiantly for a person's right to operate a business, market to his consumers, speak his thoughts. And if nobody listens to you, uh, or nobody buys your product, that's America. So uh, what other sorts of things is the First Amendment Society doing? The, there's the Freedom Reads, mm-hmm. and what, what other initiatives do you see the First Amendment Society? So we have support? Freedom Reads, uh, as uh, I've briefly alluded to. Erin uh, Aaron is the executive director, not just the co-founder. She's endowed a speaker series at the brewery for professors, constitutional scholars, attorneys, just to talk about everyday issues with everyday regular people. Some, a lot of attorneys in the audience, but a lot of you know, just non-attorneys are as well. She's working with the University of Maryland on a scholarship for investigative journalism. There's lots of news out there. I find some of it very entertaining, some of it's great, but investigative journalism is dying off a bit because most publications aren't investing for people to spend weeks researching a story. So we're trying to get more people interested in investigative journalism and pursuing that as a career. Uh, the First Amendment Society, under, under the auspices of the First Amendment Society, I speak across the country to student groups, colleges, uh, hood colleges coming up here. It's flying dog, but it's also the First Amendment because I'm not there to talk about beer. I'm there to talk about a lot of the stuff that I've talked about today and do a lot of Q&A. I love the Q&A. So that's, that's a big part of it. And then the, we find many opportunities to... Uh, you know, a movie will come out about censorship or something. We find ways, you know, for the First Amendment in conjunction with Flying Dog to be a part of that. So we're always looking for opportunities. Uh, so the basis of it is education. The, base- the core of it is to educate people on First Amendment-related issues. Yes. Okay. So it, it does kind of take in you – know, so it is, whether it's the, the Bill of Rights or what these are or why – you know, what is the American form of government. Whether you like it or not, this is the American form of government. We sort of talk about it that way. So, But it's also, it's also intended – like everything else we do, we're storytellers. So it is quite boring, uh, and I've watched some of these videos, to watch a professor talk about First Amendment cases. But when you bring it to life – so our, our goal is to talk about the story of the First Amendment in philosophical terms. Kind of what I just talked about here or in Michigan where uh, you might say, you know, three appointed bureaucrats who – Again, they were all attorneys, actually, uh, sworn to uh, uphold and defend the Constitution, just turn right around and violate people's rights for decades. Uh, What about that? Well, you could say, well, they can't do that. Well, they can unless you have hundreds of thousands of dollars 
and are willing to spend six years in court and are willing to sue your regulator, okay? <laughs> so, so by the way, that case, and here's an example, for decades upon decades since the um, 21st Amendment repealed prohibition and made consumption of alcohol legal, states have the right to control the importation and sale of alcohol. For decades, they have been violating brewers' uh, rights, uh, distillers and wineries, because they, they would just reject labels that somebody didn't like in their personal opinion. This went up for decades and decades. Our case in Michigan set a precedent that freedom of expression, except for obscenity, applies to beer, wine, and spirits labels. This is a huge constitutional victory. I'm not looking for credit or anything. I'm just saying, I'm saying yeah. this, is, this is how you, you keep that balance between government, which has a very important role in society, but not so much so that uh, it's the government uh, that's controlling things. We forget that there's a constitution and people have constitutional freedoms to protect from government overreach. It's not, it's not, these aren't really hard things. I don't have, you know, freedom of speech I can speak about. People ask me a lot about issues like the content of freedom of speech. I don't know. I'm no expert in any of those things. I just know that talking about it is better than trying to win an argument by silencing a disagreeing opinion because that's like cheating at solitaire. You're not winning the <laughs> argument. And maybe you don't have the persuasive skills. Maybe you just have a bad argument, but I learn more from debating people. You know, you, you can read all the books that you want to until you actually get out into the real world and says, well, Jim, let me ask you this. I'm like, well, that's a darn good question. <laughs> and then I go back and do more research, you know. So the only true education, with all due respect to all educators out there, is self-education. You can go through college and not learn a darn thing. <laughs> or you can go to the worst college in America and become a genius. Or you can drop out of college like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. So unless you have a legitimate interest in educating yourself and training yourself to understand what you believe and why you believe it to use your brain, you're sort of going to be a victim of the last conversation you had with somebody. And we try to encourage people, I think you said, what should you do, Jim? Think for yourself. But you know why? Because even if you make a bad decision, so bu businesses do this a lot. Here's a little short, short advice. to I'm, I'll never write a book, but here's some short advice. A lot of business just copy what other people do. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And then when it doesn't work, they're not sure what to do because they never really thought through it. It's better to think through what you believe, what you want to do, what your strategy is for your business, and then it fails because now you understand how to think through it. And when it fails, you can think through what to do next. So why don't people do that? Well, it's a little time consuming sometimes. It's it, a lot it, easier just to copy. <laughs> well, it is, but you know, my suggestion is you can go through life, you know, uh, going, well, the Brewers Association said that's true. And all the, you know, a lot of the competitors agree that they don't like some of their competitors and they can put on this cloak of virtue and say, this is to protect consumers because they're making bad decisions for themselves, which I think is insulting. Or you can say, why don't you all think for yourselves, do what's right for your business. And, uh, you know, don't worry about how I'm running my business. The consumer is sovereign. This is kind of the other part of it. I believe that consumers, the trillions of decisions they make every day, and this isn't some crazy free market thing, it's just rational. You put it out there, if nobody buys it, I don't know of any business that keeps making the product, <laughs> any <laughs> product. If lots of people buy it, who is an or a trade organization to come in and say, that product shouldn't be on the shelf and you are making bad decisions for yourself uh, and um, therefore we need to do everything possible to make sure that brewer's beers never hit the shelf. So we're, no, we're not going to censor them. We're just going to shame them and pillory them and then put them in front of the Inquisition and then they want to be an independent brewer. Uh, and, you know, the arrogance of that is that the, <laughs> if I don't have my little sticker from the Brewers Association, <laughs> I'm not independent. Or somebody has said, well, Jim, you're the 32nd largest brewery in America. You won't be on the list next year. So people will think you've sold the brewery or something. Uh, or whatever. It's like these side distracting conversations. H here's the reality. I am the 32nd largest brewer in America, whether the Brewers Association recognizes yeah. that or not. It's like a, an objective fact, just like I'm an independent yeah. it's brewery. It's easy to prove numbers. <laughs> uh, well, I, if, if, if they don't put me on the list, I would just look at the list and go, well, these guys are 32 because I'm not on the list. This is where I would be, 31, 29, whatever. And whether or not I have a little... Uh, orange sticker on the door with an upside down brown bottle. I am a 100% independently owned, privately held, uh, closely held private company. 
Whatever that means to people, that's what we are. And I'm not even saying, I'm saying people should make choices. If that's important to you, then okay. All th- I wouldn't buy bad beer from an independent brewery. <laughs> I would buy yeah. All things being equal, though, I think if some people embrace a sense of here's a guy out there, you know, falling in potholes every day, you know, clawing his way out, uh, making mistakes, um, hey, and, and doing his best to delight you every day with some new beer, that's who we are. Now, you're still um, staying a member of the Brewers Association of Maryland, correct? Or is... Well, unless they decide that, uh, <laughs> unless they decide that, uh, hey, this is a great idea. Why don't we start to tell all the brewers in Maryland how to do business? Look, mm-hmm. I support, I support every. I would never have joined the Brewers Association if this policy was in place. I never would yeah. have been like the first ever to terminate my membership or what, who cares, right? If they didn't implement it, so somebody said, "Would you join again?" Look, I'm. It's seven weeks ago. I forgot about it until you mentioned it to me. It's not an everyday influence in my yeah. life. Uh, I support industry associations; they're great. But when it comes to this, is a policy that I don't even want to pretend to support or even have Flying Dog's name on it. That's where we part our company. The Brewers Association of Maryland is an awesome organization. Uh, I, I don't say that just because Ben Savage, you know, has been serving as president for many years, doing a great job, skillfully discussing important issues with wholesalers and retailers. We have Kevin Attix as an executive director. It's a fine organization. And there's lots of things that I could disagree with. Uh, but if you come down and say, we think we have this great uh, not censorship, censorship policy. <laughs> um, no, I, I can't be a part of this. But they'll never do that because... Mar- Marylanders are a lot smarter than Coloradoans. <laughs> <laughs> they well, and and Brewers Association of Maryland seems to be much more focused on the bigger issues facing breweries in Maryland than with, <laughs> in, in some like so. Yes. Um. So I actually, I wanted to ask your opinion on that about um the recent legislation sure. legislative session. And House Bill 1283, and mm-hmm. what? How? What are your feelings? How all that took went down, and now that it's all over, the results. Yeah, um, this is not one of those issues where I actually have feelings about it. You know, I, I look at reality for what it is, and these are very, very difficult issues with regulations that have been in place for 60, 70 years, and so that kind of change can be disruptive. Uh, this may sound like a really immodest statement, but it's fairly factual. I, I may, I may have more experience as a brewer than anybody in Maryland. I owned or operated uh, 400 restaurants and bars, including chain restaurants, uh, owned with my uh, then wife, uh, independent liquor store in Colorado. We self-distributed for five years and I've developed and operated three breweries. I understand all perspectives on it. And this is where dialogue is extremely important. Uh, And as soon as you start talking about, you know, who gets this and who gets what, I try to look ahead 10 years and go, what would we like this industry to be? Okay, we, that would be a great vision for everybody. Now, how do we start lining up those index cards from here to there that makes for this smooth, elegant change? You know, and so I, I, uh, when I looked at the legislation for Maryland, no, I'm, I'm not. Uh, there are aspects to it that are not acceptable, uh, but this is the process, you know. Jim doesn't get his way, uh, <laughs> not, you know, or n- nor does anybody else. It's This is a... This is a issue of a business community, a very important industry with this new craft beer stuff, maybe a little bit relatively newer to Maryland than some other states, and that changes situations. So now you have this new information. I don't think anybody, nobody has ever said to me, Jim, you know what? I wish craft beer never existed. <laughs> you know, so you take it, from, okay, well, okay, now, okay, okay, now we can start from there. We're all glad that craft beer is here, consumers like it. It's benefiting the industry. It's bringing more people to beer. people are making money from every aspect. Let's not ignore that. Before you can distribute wealth, you have to create wealth. So whatever you want to do with your money, first you have to create it. So we're all for that. So I think I I give tremendous credit to uh, some of the leaders in the wholesaler industry. Uh, uh, You know, uh, Betty Buck uh, has has been a very good leader and spokesperson for wholesalers, as have the other wholesalers. On the retailer side, we have good spokespersons. We have good spokespersons on the Brewers Association of Maryland, and thoughtful people get into a room, and there is no easy situation. There is no easy solution, but we're working on it and talking about it. So do you you look at what what happened this year as a a good first baby step to 
getting to where you would like to be in 10 years? And in my mind, everything in life is about direction. I don't have any goals. Our goals are self-limiting by virtue of that's the goal. So we're always moving in some direction. For me, it's building and growing businesses and developing people. So yeah, I feel this is in a good direction. There's a particular aspect of the legislation that I find extremely disappointing. I don't really want to get into it out of the air. It doesn't really relate to Flying Dog, but it relates to creating disparities in industries with one brewer, one brewery versus the other breweries. This, this is going in the wrong direction when a new brewery coming into the state has privileges and benefits that an existing brewery like Flying Dog wouldn't have if I opened a new brewery. That is not going in the right direction. And uh, certainly I'm outspoken about that, but they're not bad people. Yeah. Uh, I would just, you know, I'm pretty clear on First Amendment rights. I'm pretty clear on free enterprise. And that's part of the conversation. Do you, do you like the approach the comptroller is taking with the reform on tap committee? and? Uh, of course. And I, I, uh, uh, I, I rarely do this. I, I, I'm uh, true. I belong to no parties. Um, I belong to no political party. Uh, I have certain beliefs and lots of politicians over the years have uh, embraced those. I will give a shout out to Peter Francho, <coughs> who uh, really stood up for what I would consider not just craft breweries, but making making the industry, you know, freer to operate and freer to compete. Uh, yeah, I think he even used the words free enterprise, which, you know, it's like it's like musical notes <laughs> of floating my way. Uh, Can you hear that anywhere it's said? Just kinda, <laughs> you, you get a spidey sense from it. Uh, I, actually, I, I've recorded my voice saying freedom of speech and free expression. That's <laughs> why I go to sleep at night. No, the, uh, no, you know, there's somebody, it's like me. You stand up and you take some heat for that, but it starts the conversation. And so uh, Comptroller Francho has put together this uh, uh, broad-based group uh, from across the industry. And you sit down in there. I think it's a large group. It's hard to manage. Uh, uh, kudos to him for being able to manage yeah, such a like large 40, group. 40 people on uh, it? So I thought it was in less than that. Yeah, so whatever it is. But that's a great start. Now, you, now what will happen is you'll break down into some subcommittees. And I would expect there will be some informal leaders that will come with some ideas going, hey, based on everything that we've talked about for the last few weeks, here's a great idea. This there is, there is virtually no situation where you bring people together to have a dialogue and to disagree and to debate and to argue and to do everything except throw something at somebody else or hit them uh, to talk about the issues. I am all for that. Something good will come out of that, including the fact that they're going to find that they're, again, my, my experience over the last, you know, when you're 100 and have done all this stuff, you can look at this and go, yeah, I know what it's like to be a retailer. Certainly, I do understand these issues. Distributor, yep, I failed at it for five years. Totally get it. <laughs> I bless you for being out there. Uh, breweries, yes, I totally get what's needed for that. And they're, in the short term, there are always competing interests. In the long term, there's a great vision. And I think the what's unfortunate is when you start arguing about some minuscule line item in legislation, you lose sight about this wonderful world that we could visualize and then talk about how to get there. This is why I'm in favor of a direction, not arguing, well, who got what they want in this year's legislation? Um, some people did, some people didn't. It's certainly helpful to us to be able to, you know, promote our tap room. That, that's a big issue too, these tap rooms. And the difference is um, small craft breweries, we don't advertise on the Super Bowl. If you're waiting for the flying dog ad on the Super Bowl, it's not coming. We bring people to the brewery, uh, 50, 60, 70,000 people. Uh, we serve a few hundred barrels of beer. Let's put this in perspective. We'll sell 115,000 this year. So about 0.2% of our sales go through the tap room. But that's a very important 0.2%. And then they try beers that they might not try somewhere else, and they go to a liquor store and buy them. So uh, on the other hand, there are different models for that where I can see, you look at that and go, wait a second here, that's a different model. How do we think about that? How, what, are the, what are the appropriate uh, regulations in place so that not one group gets an unfair advantage? Though, you need to talk about that. I don't know the answer. Uh, one more question. Certainly. Do you have an update on the new brewery? It's still on hold. Um, the... Um, uh, legislation that uh, we had, we we're pretty clear about the legislation that we yeah. needed. Um, it didn't pass this year, and it's necessary for us to engage in this pro you know, project. Uh, some other disappointments in terms of uh, some back and forth on legislation. Laws are passed. A couple of years later, you know, they're voted, at least in the House, you know, unanimously to repeal it. Uncertainty is uh, the worst possible thing for entrepreneurs. So 
you, you wouldn't even engage in putting a, a, a deck on your patio if you thought yeah. next year the zoning was going to change. A $60 million project with this kind of uncertainty, I'm just a rational entrepreneur. I get, yeah. there's, there's hardly any emotion here. I look at this and say, no, you know, I, we need to kind of settle some of these issues. In the meantime, uh, I have other projects still looking at the distilling business. I mean, there's lots of stuff going on with Flying Dog. Uh, successful entrepreneurs uh, aren't really smarter than other people. They are just always lining up options. Um, uh, I love Frederick, Maryland. Uh, I'm just very fortunate this brewery is here. It's, it's a tremendous community. Maryland is a beautiful state. Uh, can be a little bit more challenging than some to do business in. Uh, we're always up for the challenge. So wait, you, I, I hadn't heard anything about a distillery, so I have one more question. Yes. What, so you can, are you, is Flying Dog looking into opening a distillery? Well, or, so, uh, we, or we, are you individually? Uh, we we started uh, the first ever Colorado whiskey, straight whiskey, straight hands yeah. Colorado whiskey back in 2004. We had significant ownership, but we made it happen. It was next to the brewery. Uh, the person who had a controlling interest in it sold that to uh, a company years ago. And there was a non-compete in place, a worldwide non-compete. So okay. the only reason I'm not in distillation now, uh, oh, because for your listeners who don't know, you can't be, uh, you can't make whiskey unless you know how to make beer. You start, whiskey starts with unhopped beer. So you got to be a, excuse me, a great brewer to make whiskey. Uh, it's a perfect compliment. I've been, you know, I've been wanting to do this for a while. So the only reason you're not seeing a flying dog distillery out there today is because I've been prohibited and I've been honored the terms of our agreement. So is that up or you still have more? Still looking at it. Yeah. Okay. Looking at various ways to do it. Um, you know, there's, uh, it, it's just a natural fit. It's, it's, it's when, when you, when you brew, the reason you see so many brewers getting into distillation is it's, it's a natural process. Uh, uh, dist distillation is difficult, but the brewing part of it is the really hard part. And we have an amazing team of brewers. It's just a way to, I look at it, this as it's, it's like even like a small farm brewery. You always want to expand the value of what you do, not leverage it. In other words, you're not going to see a bunch of stuff. There's flying dog this and flying dog that and flying dog hotel. But uh, our expertise, just like chefs have different types of concepts, our expertise can make great wine, spirits, brandy, cider, um, all that sort of stuff. And whiskey is uh, something that we've had experience in and, and we enjoy. We, we know how to do it well. Um, and it's a direct connection to a brewery. Yeah, we uh, actually next week will be releasing an article and a video. I took a bourbon making class from your oh, friends over at Dragon. Oh, oh, what great! Oh, if you haven't visited Dragon Distillery, uh, there's a lot of great distilleries in Frederick, but uh, it's it's a lot of fun. As are all the distilleries here in town. So um, I'm, <clears throat> so uh, we went there. Mark gave me a private version of their publicly available bourbon making class and the bourbon was delicious too mm -hmm. and i haven't had a chance to make their their official i haven't had a chance to try their official bourbon yet but i assume that is also really good i did get a sneak peek at the um fear of the dragon mm -hmm. when i was there which is turning out delicious so i'm looking forward to when the fear comes out and you guys mm -hmm. do the collaboration of the fear sure. and fear of the dragon you know, look, my, 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 my business is pretty easy. The, the direction we go, every day we, walk up, we wake up and go, how can we be the best part of your day? I'm a small business person. I put on the same flying dog shirt. And I go out there to make good beer with no censorship and try to delight you with all these great products. Oh, and very often you do. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd, I want to thank you one more time my for pleasure. coming in my with pleasure. such short notice and giving us all sorts of knowledge in, uh, on the First Amendment. and I studied for this all night, Chris. <laughs> I, I assume. I, you look kind of tired, so I figured you were up I crammed, all night prepared. I crammed, never knowing what questions a journalist is going to throw <laughs> at me. Well, lucky for you, I'm not a journalist. So <laughs> they're just softball. <laughs> thank you again. My pleasure, Chris. Thank, thank you very much. Yes, thank you. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.